Okay, okay, I'll kick us off. So, uh, yeah, we met on Twitter uh, through something, probably like had a, a mutual in common or something. And at the time, your uh, handle was Mash Made Me a Leftist, which I thought was just really funny and immediately like stuck in my mind. So, yeah, we had met there, and then I think you had responded to something I had tweeted one time. And so from there, we at some point just started like messaging each other. And then we talked about MASH. And then I was like, yeah, I've never actually watched MASH. Then I, I started watching MASH. And at a certain point, because like I knew what your name was, but I knew you like first and foremost as MASH made me a leftist, MASH, MASH for short. So when I talked about mm-hmm. people I knew in real life about you, I just referred to them referred to you to them as mash and so now mash is your nickname yeah because of that because of that great uh twitter name which i really like because it's i don't have that many nicknames in life mariah is not a super nicknameable name but now i have one that's actually quite meaningful to me because mash is a show that i grew up with i've been watching this show since i was like nine years old and it's I don't know. It's an honor to be associated with it in any way. <laughs> You've done great. You've made a name for yourself as the other mash. The other mash. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Uh, do you want to take over from there? Is that like yeah. the proper setup? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I mean, I think, I still think that's hilarious because I got a lot of comp- comments and compliments on my, you know, my display name, mash made me a leftist, but I ended up changing it because I didn't like, as I kind of got like more and more radicalized or whatever, I was like, I'm not a leftist. Like I'm a communist, like leftist kind of took on this really kind of generic term or generic meaning for, for a lot of people. And I was like, nah, I'll, I'll I'll move on. I'll, uh, I'll graduate from this, but uh, I will always remember it. And I'll remember my profile picture from that time as well, because uh, yeah, that's when I found or Zach and I first uh, interacted on Twitter, probably, I, I think it's fair to say we were probably in the replies of Nira Tandon. Um, Almost, harass- definitely. Almost definitely. And yeah. if it wasn't Nira Tandon, it was somebody like Jay Carney, like some, some <laughs> equally like ghoulish democratic operative. So um, that's, that's that mash mash brings people together. Yeah, it does. You start podcasts when you talk about mash. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah that, zach and i wouldn't have met we we wouldn't be here you wouldn't be enjoying this this wonderful very professional podcast right now right if your name had been something lame we wouldn't be friends like i wouldn't have been like oh let me follow this person no no it, it had, no. because it was so cool and funny that is how this came to be it's it's really fortuitous and I think it should also be stated that like, we don't live in the same city. Like we are, our entire friendship has been developed o- over Twitter. And then eventually we moved on to like actually texting each other. And, and here we are. Now we do podcasts. So now we do podcasts. Yeah. Are you now, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? This is not a propaganda program. Brothers and sisters, it's time we ask, what the communists? What did the communists do? I had my way 
empeñados en resistirnos a esa tesis que viene del norte. Alguien me decía hace poco que todo lo malo no viene del norte. De la era tecnotrónica, que las ideologías ya no sirven, que están de modé. No, nos resistimos, no lo aceptamos. Un American Activity. So here's a question for you to kick us off. Uh, how did MASH make you a leftist? Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, this, <laughs> this is a great question. Uh, well, I mean, the thing about this show is that in a lot of ways, the time that it was produced, it, it, was, it ran during, uh, it overlapped with the Vietnam War, right? It, it mm. ran past the end of the Vietnam War, um, but it, It was on the air while we were, you know, bombing the shit out of Cambodia and Vietnam. So in a lot of ways, some of the themes that are just that that come up in the show dramatically are kind of subversive and controversial. Um, there are a lot of examples of this. Th this um, episode we're going to talk about kind of fits into that. Um, but there there were things like in the early season, in the very first season, there was a, a character, a, a black character who was a, a surgeon, a doctor. Um, and that was like the first time that a black man had been, uh, you know, a, a sort of central character with actual dialogue and like an actual, you know, having, you know, relationships with other main characters on a network television show. Um, so that's one example of kind of like, I mean, it, it seems so like weird to talk about it now as that kind of thing being like pushing boundaries, but Right. Representation has always been an issue in movies and television. And so, and even more so back in, you know, the late sixties, early seventies, there were also issues, uh, like they talk about, uh, homophobia and homosexuality, which obviously was like definitely dealt with really differently at that time. Um, there's multiple episodes where like women are kind of the center, uh, of, of the, plot and you kind of see like a woman's perspective on like being in you know li living in a man's army basically and there's lots of like jokes and stuff and I I was actually kind of shocked in the especially in the early seasons I, when I rewatched it last year that um it's it's still a very sexist show and there are still a lot of like racist um tropes and stuff but it's like I talked to my mom about it sometimes because she she you know remembers the show when it was on the air and it really was like pushing the envelope at the time and people would like talk about it you know if it aired on a wednesday night you'd be talking about it the next day at work or something like that so um anyway all that is to say that this show deals with like some non-traditional like it's not like leave it to beaver you know it's not mm -hmm. you're, it's not a, dem an, a a depiction of uh, a sanitized america or sanitized history. It, it's not the most accurate or the most um, progressive or radical depiction of the situation, but it is, um, it's like a deeply anti-war show. Totally. And, uh, and the main character, uh, Hawkeye played by Alan Alda, is like mm. fundamentally an anti-war character. Like that's kind of, that's like why he exists. That's his entire character is, bu is built around that. And so it's really hard to like, you know, watch the show a lot 
learn, you know, start to sympathize with this character and not walk away from it feeling like war is pointless, war is evil, the people who send, you know, young men and women to die abroad in imperial wars are horrible. You know, it, it's, it's just hard to, to not do that. And I remember a really, this is a weird, weirdly like specific moment in my childhood. My, mm-hmm. my cousin was living with us for the summer. Uh, I couldn't tell you why I was like nine and his dad was in the military. My uncle and had like served two tours in Iraq. Like, you know, they were really like deeply military family. Um, and I was watching mash and I was like, Oh, you know, my cousin, like, come, come watch mash with me. It's my favorite show. You know, it's like totally weird for a nine-year-old, but (laughs) I respect it though. That was the kind of stuff I had. So (laughs) same thing here. Yeah, no, I feel like we, you and I, we were definitely the same type of weird in that way, (laughs) but yeah. So I wanted him to watch mash with me and he was like, no, I don't, I don't like the show. It's too preachy. And I remember, you know, my nine-year-old self just being like so offended, <laughs> not just because like he had been kind of rude and like didn't want to hang out with me, but he was like 18, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so, so it's nine-year-old you and you're yeah. like, come on, 18-year-old cousin, come watch my favorite nine-year-old show, MASH. <laughs> and your cousin's like, oh, it's too preachy. And you're like, you motherfucker, what did you just yeah. say about MASH? <laughs> exactly like I was he didn't want to hang out with me he didn't want to watch my favorite show and I knew by the way that he said that word preachy I had never heard that word in my life you know I did had no Mm. concept of what he was talking about Mm -hmm. for somehow I knew exactly what he meant and I knew that he meant that the message of the show did not sit right with him he did not agree with the message of the show and over the years, I put two and two together and figured out, you know, okay, my cousin is a reactionary. His his dad is in the military. He comes from a very like pro military, pro capitalist uh, perspective, and, and an you know pro capitalist also meaning anti communist. Mm-hmm. And so this show, which also an, another con- like a thing that happens many times throughout the show, is where that the, the, these doctors, these surgeons, have to treat enemy soldiers they have to cheat treat um chinese soldiers and north korean soldiers who end up you know behind the lines and they get wounded and they get transported to their hospital and they don't have you know you don't have a choice you somebody is ill you treat them and then you know there it would be like prisoner exchange or whatever you don't just let them go and there were always people in the uh, other characters in the show who would be like you can't do that like that's a commie and then there you know hawkeye's character he or um Hawkeye would just be like, crack some kind of joke, but ultimately his, his position would be, no, like this is a human, a human being. They have been mortally wounded and I'm going to treat them. And so anyway, all, all of that being said, I just, I knew I was like, damn, fuck this guy. Fuck my cousin. He sucks. (laughs) So it just always has. And, and I mean, now looking at it, yeah, the show is kind of preachy. The sh- it can be a little bit cheesy, a little bit like melodramatic, but the message is very important, I think. And I think it was important at the time, too, because it's like people were grappling with the, the reality of the Vietnam War. And, it, you know, towards the end of the war, people were really exhausted by by war. Right. And mm-hmm 
I, I so I don't know. I think it's a, I think the show is very uh, like culturally significant. Uh, yeah, totally. Like a hundred percent. And what I was going to add on too is uh, as somebody I, you know, I didn't grow up watching mash. I've started watching it recently once we became friends uh, and I've watched the first season through and um, I'm not, I'm not super deep into the show though. Uh, but it's a great show. I'm, I'm really into it. I just, I need to finish through the, it has what 11 seasons. Yeah, bro. Cause, and cause that's the joke, right? Cause it ran 11 years and the war itself is only like three years. Exactly. It's so like, it's kind of ridiculous. And it, it's just, you know, the way there, yeah, there's 11 Christmas episodes. You know? like, <laughs> like, oh, that's great. I and, love that. And they, and they start to get like gray hair. And it's just like, it, you know, it's a little, it's a little bit silly. But yeah, apparently, Alan Alda wanted season eight to be the last season. But um, the network was like, no, we really need this, which is this really is dumb. Cool. We want that. Yeah. And in and in my opinion, everything after season nine is like too depressing. Like it's I can't watch it past season nine anymore. Like depressing how? Like it's just people. You know, people are dying. Like it's just brutal. It's oh, just, it gets like actually. Oh, okay. Well, that is that's well, kind of not not like I'm... not like your main characters. Like not, huh. not no more of the main character. Well, God, I don't want to give anything away. Fuck. But um, yeah, no. It's just it's just very sad. But it gets more and more serious. Like it was. Oh. Alan Alda took over as the main writer um, and producer uh, after. Shit, yeah, no, he took over after season six, and so they. I, when I was reading about it in preparation for this, the uh, seasons one through five are they're considered like the comedy era. Larry Gelbar, Burt Metcalf, um, Gene Reynolds, they all, they were the main writers and producers and they had more like comedy sitcom kind of background. And so the show's like way funnier with some dramatic undertones and dram some dramatic plot lines. Mm -hmm. And then from season six to season 11, it's just like pure drama basically with some funny you know, dialogue and some funny elements. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I'll be, I'll be interested to see because I did sort of feel like this episode, um, this episode that we're going to talk about is from season eight. And mm -hmm. I did feel, I mean, you could tell some, some differences. I, th I think it still felt like the same mash that I had uh, become accustomed to from what I've watched so far, but there were definitely some things that were different, um, both like very on the surface where characters are gone that I know uh, and have been replaced by sort of equivalent characters um, but then mm -hmm. also like the, in the tone, in the way that it's balanced, um, this was, this would be considered like a pretty serious episode within like the first couple of seasons. So yeah, yeah. I, I'll be interested to see like how that transition works as I like work my way through the show. It's pretty interesting. It, the show definitely evolves, the characters evolve and you'll, you know, I have fa favorite seasons for specific characters. Like season, season four is my favorite no, I, no, I think season four might be my favorite season. Period. Okay. Well, anyway, we should do a we ranking afterward. We should, once, <laughs> once I get through the show, we'll like rank the seasons, and then we'll yeah, it'll be yes. perfect. Yes, we can have a big argument about it. Oh yeah, it'll be the end of the podcast. It's like a total falling out. We'll record <laughs> it, and it'll be the final episode of our podcast. It's just us yelling at each other about our mash rankings. Oh, it's gonna be killer. Perfect. Um, stay tuned <laughs> uh okay so so yeah regarding the show i think um you you sort of touched on it 
but the show did begin amidst the Vietnam War, and the show itself is about the Korean War, uh, which if you don't know much about the Korean War, which is kind of understandable because it's it went on for three years and it's very much sort of overshadowed by Vietnam and you know, not too long later within that era, that's sort of what you think of. But uh, the Korean War started essentially because of the U.S. Uh, the U.S. invades South Korea after World War II, has set up military bases there, and uh, also is making sure that the government is a right-wing U.S.-supporting, you know, government. And so there is conflict between North and South Korea, which North Korea establishes itself as its own state, and a socialist state, whereas South Korea would be a capitalist state. Uh, of course, the U.S. being there makes matters worse, and eventually war breaks out. It lasts for three years, and an armistice is signed, uh, although technically it has never been resolved. And while the, the argument for reunification is very popular, it can't really begin with the U.S. still stationed in South Korea, which it, it has been ever since. Um, you know, there's a lot of U.S. troops over there. So uh, that's that's sort of a really, really basic history of the issue that um, you could totally do some more research. And and there's a lot more to be learned. And, and it, you know, it is interesting. And especially, you know, now it's been 70 years uh, since the war started. And reunification is something that a lot of people are still working really hard on achieving. So. They definitely are, especially in the North. I mean, it's like they're, from what I've read and from what I understand, like there, there are families who were separated by this border that was drawn, you know, the 38th parallel uh, that separated the North and the South. And uh, there, there are families that were separated that would like to know each other again, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I don't think that, you know, we, we can fully, comment on like the brutality and the the difficulties that this war uh brought onto the korean peninsula uh at the time or the legacy of it um but but uh i will say you know and it it does get discussed in the show uh from time to time uh the the civilian like loss of life that occurred due to like the u.s and south korean uh like aggression on the North was uh, absolutely devastating. Uh, And I mean, North Korea was like raised to the ground, completely destroyed. Um, A lot of, a lot of major Korean cities still have never been rebuilt, never recovered from the devastation of that war. It was only three years. uh, And the, the casualty rate for civilians is, incredibly high it's it really is a devastating right and like and that was all without the u.s using an atomic bomb right like (laughs) and and, uh you know macarthur who was fired from his job as like the the lead you know the head i don't remember his exact title but the as general of the the like that theater uh he was fired because he was like a little too excited to like nuke china like he, even, even Truman was like, uh, I don't think we should do that. <laughs> or he was, either, I think it was Eisenhower actually who fired him. Um, okay. But uh, the, the, this is a really important, like 
part of history. We don't really learn about it a lot. We learn about the Vietnam War to a degree in, in school, but the Korean War gets, because it's only three years, gets yeah. kind of glossed over. But like, there was, there were horrible instances of like, just, you know, massacres of civilians. Like we hear about the My Lai massacre in, in Vietnam, things like that happen in, in Korea as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was strong uh, opposition to the war within the ranks of the military that we never hear about. Um, so that's another issue that gets brought up in the show a lot is, uh, oh, major. you know, people, yeah, people wanting to, um, so soldiers like trying to get out of going back to fighting, um, which of course is very controversial because on the one hand you have people who think that that's just cowardice and that they're disloyal and whatever, and then on the other hand, you have, you know, these doctors who just don't want to see like 17 year old boys uh, be murdered on the battlefield. Right. Pretty, and, pretty depressing. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a major element of MASH. Uh, and it's actually the butt of a lot of the jokes is uh, the fact that they are not like none of the characters really except for uh, a few are are de- portrayed as these real patriot patriotic you know, individuals, they are, they are here because they have been drafted. That is, that is what you understand. None of these guys wanted to go to war. They were drafted. And so they are, are medics. And that is the Mm -hmm. setup of the show. And it's just, just them getting into hijinks. And what I think is really cool about the show is that, yeah, so it started uh, as the Vietnam War is going on. And because of that, there was sort of, they had to work within the the guidelines of I forget which channel it aired on CBS. It was on CBS. CBS. Okay, yeah. uh, within the guidelines of the channel, because while the show is very clearly anti-war, it couldn't be too anti-war to where mm-hmm. it was seeming to indict the U.S. for what was happening with the the war in Vietnam. And while it takes place in Korea, you can see all of these parallels and and you can see parallels between the wars as well, obviously, you know, uh, with the way yeah. that the U.S. gets involved. And, and so it does work really well as this timely, oh, this is these field medics work in, in Korea during the Korean War. And it's a funny show, but also this is airing as there is a war going on and you're seeing, you know, footage of that war too uh, mm-hmm. on TV as it's happening. So... Uh, it, it does have the time that it that it came to exist is is a really interesting one, and the way that the show kind of has to balance that is really interesting. But I think that uh, obviously there are certain jokes and everything like you addressed um, <laughs> the way that they flirt with every uh, oh my nurse on the show is something that you would not see in that show were it airing for the first time today. Uh, definitely, some of I, it has aged. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 pretty like out, it's pretty colorful i guess it's, right uh, that's that's how my mom always described it it's colorful that's a good that's a good way mama mash has a good description there i like it <laughs> uh yeah so so while, while there are those elements that obviously have aged you can tell that they have aged and there are other things about the show that really are impressive and just watching it for the first time in 2020 uh that have aged really well and the the one of the things that always sticks out to me is how uh, the characters specifically hawkeye are are very clearly um 
critical of the U.S. and of the military and of the war that's going on. And I remember specifically watching, I think it's the fourth episode of the series is the moose episode. And I got to that Ooh. episode and I, I thought to myself, I, now I understand how MASH made you a leftist because yeah. that's, a, that's a really good episode and it's addressing a real issue and it handles it pretty well too, where it's a, a serious thing and Hawkeye is disgusted by this, this other soldier and, mm-hmm. and what he's doing, the way that he's treating the, the, the Korean people, the civilians. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really great episode. It holds up. And a lot of the episodes actually do hold up extremely well. And uh, you can see the politics of the time and how this really is going against the, what the U.S. is doing at that time in Vietnam and also what it did mm-hmm. just you know, a, a couple of decades earlier in Korea. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this show, there's, there's some serious gold. And I like, I think that uh, you you could teach a history of uh, the Vietnam era, maybe even the Korean era as well by watching, like by, by teaching this show yeah. uh, and teaching some of these like kind of more iconic episodes uh, that deal with these, with these issues of racism and, you know, dehumanizing the enemy anti-communism etc but like you said it is always walking this line especially in the earlier seasons of like not being too anti-war not being too overly critical um and you know they kind of make it so that hawkeye like it, it it's sort of like he's he never really quite makes the leap to being like a full-on communist and being anti anti-american but he he's just kind of like demoralized by the whole by, by the trauma that he's, sorry, that's my dog. Um, by the trauma that he has experienced, uh, you know, as a doctor in these like horrible conditions. So um, yeah, it really is those first three seasons that, uh, that were filmed during the Vietnam War. Right. But even still, I think that the entire decade after the Vietnam War is still, you can feel the effects of the Vietnam oh. War. And so it's still very <laughs> pertinent to... Uh, you know, what's going on in the world undoubtedly undoubtedly and yeah the the you know the time period immediately after the war was like yeah kind of a crazy it, it's referred to as like a period of uh, repression and retreat by like communists of that time period it's like there it was not safe <laughs> to be uh, there, 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 it was the left, you know, the, the communist left, the socialist left was like deeply um, gutted after that, after that point, because the anti-war movement had been kind of gutted. Now we're going to talk about this specific episode. Do you want to introduce that one? This episode is, like I said, it's called Are You Now, Margaret? And it centers around the visit of a congressman's aide to the 4077th Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. Immediately when it's announced that this congressman's aide, um, his name is like Williamson. I think, yeah, I think Williamson. Williamson we'll, yeah. Call him, we'll call him Williamson. Uh, the fucking snake. When his arrival is announced, immediately everybody is like, ugh, you know, yuck. Like we don't, you know, we don't want to deal with politicians. We don't want to deal with, uh, with Washington. Like we're up to our we're up to our necks and blood and guts and stuff. We don't want to talk to these people, but there, with a few exceptions, there are a couple of people, including Major Margaret Houlihan, 
who are very excited to have this congressman's aide visiting, uh, you know, and it just, like we talked about before, it, there's a, a stark contrast between these kind of two camps, one being like these civilian draftees who are kind of like, eh, we don't really care about anything military and being the kind of regular army, very buttoned up type um, people. So then the episode goes on. This congressman's aide, Williamson, comes through. He starts meeting people and he's asking all these questions and he's asking questions about the personnel, about like, you know, are there any malingerers at the camp? Are there any people who are not pulling their weight? Are there any people who who don't seem to be like, um, you know, loyal Americans, basically? And, you know, people start to get the idea, Hawkeye, BJ, Father Mulcahy, they start to get the idea that uh, this guy is not just there to like, survey the place he's there with uh, like with some kind of agenda they and so they finally budget they cuts they want to cut yeah, personnel they, yeah exactly yeah yeah and so they get they get really upset they're like come on like this is crazy you can't cut our you can't like cut our personnel you can't cut our budget like um you know this is a hospital and it's a war and we're, we're at war so they they come out straight up and ask him like why the fuck are you here and uh well, Zach, do you want to do the do the next bit? Yeah, so they confront him in his room. What are you doing here? What are you actually here for? We know this isn't just you checking up on us. You don't care about helping us. And he says, we have information suggesting that somebody in this unit is a communist sympathizer. And he reveals <laughs> that individual. <laughs> yeah. And he reveals that individual to be Margaret Houlihan. And yeah, yeah, it's a shock. The whole squad is is up in arms about it. They're like, that's ridiculous. She is deaf. And the funny thing is that they established pretty early on in the episode that she is like the only one actually excited that this guy is here who's giving him oh, the yeah. time of day going on about how patriotic she is. Uh, she she has the, you know, that he comes into, he comes to her tent earlier on and he, he interviews her uh, and he, he's asking her about um the other doctors and stuff and he she's just like gushing all over him she's like oh wow like i've never been so close to an actual congressman and he's like oh i'm not actually a congressman blah 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 and uh yeah so she's just swooning over him and then this happens and everyone is like what the hell and then they yeah then they bring her in for an interview and it's like bj hawkeye colonel potter Williamson and Major Houlihan in the colonel's office and it's this very dramatic scene where he you know this guy is ma- who's you know never met any of these people in, in person and he, he's making these really dramatic uh really cheesy I mean they kind of make it so that it sounds almost like one of those um uh 50s you know documentaries about the red menace where it's mm-hmm. just like they're you know yeah using this terminology the communist sympathizer or you know, they're, they're, the real enemy is right here in America, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and he is so, like, over the top, and they really do play him. Like, you just hate him the whole time. You just want to see him oh, fail. Yeah. Uh, He's so snaky. <laughs> He's so snaky. Total dick, yeah, not a fun guy. And so the reason that they actually suspect 
uh, Margaret of being a communist sympathizer is that way back in college, she dated a guy who is uh, supposedly a known communist. And so they gave her, you know, either you can tell us who some of his friends are, or we're going to force you to testify. And it becomes a dilemma for her because by testifying, you know, on the one hand, she doesn't want to give out these friends that she remembers very fondly and thinks, well, these are people, why would I ruin their lives? Like they want to do to me. And at the same time, if she doesn't, and she is brought in front of, uh, forced to testify with the the HUAC stuff, it will have destroyed her reputation, which she could live with, but it's that her father is so proud of where she's gotten to that yeah. having them destroy this reputation would destroy him. Her fa- her father is uh, like a, a, an army um, colonel. He's a high ranking, you know, re- retired army. So, so yeah, she's like, she's sitting there just like weeping, like gr- grappling with this horrible horrible choice that she's been faced with. And yeah, they, and another one of like the, this kind of scaremongering uh, moments is he says like, you'll have to testify before, if, if you choose not to cooperate, you'll have to come to Washington and testify before the committee. And there's this dramatic moment where she repeats, testify before the committee. Testify before the committee. It's supposed to be like very chilling, you know? It's like, yeah. uh, this is like repression in real time. Like the repression of people's, uh, poli- you know, supposedly free, uh, freedom of association, freedom, uh, freedom of speech, etc. And the episode is really effective, actually, in that uh, when you're watching it, you do see and it does it obviously is meant to have you reflect on this whole period and, you know, the, the HUAC, everything involved with HUAC. And so in that regard, it really is successful. It, you, you watch it and you do feel for the characters and it's like, wow, you know, this is something that people went through and then there's more to be said on that as well because the issue is um you know you're ruining innocent people's lives right like she's not a communist she's innocent and of course that's sort of the how it's presented like in school how they taught it when i was in school was uh yeah what's really what's really a tragedy about the the huac stuff um, because everybody agrees it was bad what's really a tragedy about it is that uh, so many of these people were innocent (laughs) <laughs> right as, as if it would have been okay if they actually were you know affiliated communists right naturally and yeah no that's a really great point because there i i, I watched this episode twice before we started recording because i wanted to um really have it in my brain the, the once again mariah establishing herself as the harder working <laughs> member of the duo yeah no <laughs> long come on yeah he's he's at he's like interrogating her kind of and he's saying like you know have are are you aware of any of you know this person that you know his name is wally Crichton, the um you know her the person that she previously associated with like are you are you a communist is he a communist like and he 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 says um do you agree that uh communist a threat to the american way of life and she says yes but and i just feel like that like really hurt me to listen to you know like it's like yeah like you said it's all framed under this this um in this framework that it's like yeah being a communist is actually bad it's just that this kind of repression of like political speech is also bad i think uh i I definitely think that that's a factor in the way that the narrative of the episode is crafted in general um but i do think margaret giving that answer as opposed to like 
Hawkeye giving that answer makes sense to me because it's fitting oh, with Margaret's character, right? Like her yeah. saying, yes, that is definitely the number one threat to the Americans is something mm-hmm. that you would expect her character to say. And so I do mm-hmm. think that it's, um, it's something that you can still kind of separate from what you're supposed to get out of it. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. No. Yeah. You, I mean, you explained it perfectly. If, if this, and, and like I said before, even, even Hawkeye, who is like the most quote unquote radical on the show, it ne- it never comes out that he himself has communist sympathies, you know, like it's right. that that would have been a bridge too far uh, mm-hmm. for an American audience at that time. Um, but I will I will also say that, like, in, again, in some of my research for this, sh- this um, for our podcast, I've been listening to some old HUAC testimonies and damn, it's like pretty like I, I it's none of these people who like i was i was watching uh the the hearing for uh bertolt brecht who was a Uh a german poet and he actually was a member of the german communist party uh and and his argument was like yeah like we were fighting fascism like that that's what everyone was doing like if you weren't a nazi you were in some you know you were connected somehow to the the to the communists because the communists were enemy number one of the of the fascists right Mm-hmm. But he still goes on to um, to deny, you know, that he is a communist, and and it's just kind of like, oh, man, like <laughs> bummer. Like I wish, uh, you know, like there are plenty of communist martyrs in the world, but it just goes to show like how afraid people were of this of of Huac specifically, but just in general of like America, you know, the United States's repression of of communists around the world, right. So you have this with the character. This is the setup of the episode. From there in the episode, the rest of it goes. Uh, They are trying to figure out how to get Margaret out of this situation. What ends up happening is that they sort of give away her reputation as being uh, that she has kind of hooked up with all of these various um, military personnel from, from various like higher ranking positions. And her nickname is Hot Lips. And Mm -hmm. from, from this, uh Williamson has decided that maybe he could help her so he goes to her tent at night as she is now changed into you know her her sleeping gown whatever it is she's wearing she has these like silky Japanese pajamas yeah that's right (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so so he approaches her and asks if he can come in and he he's making it look like he can help her and it becomes abundantly clear that his move is that, you know, he's going to try and sleep with her in exchange for her, him helping her out. So as he sort of like makes a move on her and kisses her and starts to move her toward the cot, Klinger, another member of the, the mash crew uh, comes out of the closet and snaps a picture and they are able to use that to blackmail him into just dropping the investigation and going back home or else they'll release the the photo to his wife. And so they've like made a fool of him and there's all kinds of really funny lines of them <laughs> rubbing in the fact that they've made a fool of him. His true character as a total sleaze bag is revealed. And I, I mean, I, I don't know how you read this, but it, it seems like the whole thing, like Hawkeye, BJ and Margaret all and Klinger all like staged this. Yes, yeah, they totally had it planned out. Yeah, so Hawkeye and BJ, like as soon as uh, Klinger snaps the photo, Hawkeye and BJ come into the, the tent and they're like, ha ha, like we got you. And yeah. then they 
Margaret, you know, gets all angry and it's, it's amazing. It's a great moment. And this, this happens a lot in uh, throughout the series where a bad guy comes through uh, who has like shitty politics or, you know, is just like a terrible person. Yeah. They're also always the ultra right wing too. Like every single yeah, time. <laughs> yeah. These crazy, like, yeah. Right. Right wing, like really ra- you know, or somebody who's really racist. Like sometimes there'll be just yeah. like regular soldiers who are really racist or who've like, um, you know, there's an episode where uh, a gay soldier has been, his entire unit is like beat the shit out of him when they found out that he was gay. Like, so there, but BJ and Hawkeye are, are, are in previous seasons, uh, Trapper John, they, they do their best to, uh, to put people in their place when they are being shitty people. And it's, it's great. It, it makes for good comedy as well as like, you know, this kind of interesting, um, like political messaging. Yeah. And it's, it's really effective sometimes too, in, uh, in the way that they do it. Like the, that moose episode that I referenced earlier, yeah. is a really great one. I think that was when I had watched that, that was when I was like, okay, this is a really great show. Like before that I was enjoying watching it, but that was the episode where I was like, oh, this is a great show. This is, I'm going to watch all of this. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that one. Yeah. I remember it though. It's good. So this is sort of the resolution. And then uh, there's a funny moment actually, where when, when he is accused of like, you were going to let her off in exchange for sleeping with her. He was like, no, I was never going to let her off. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah he was and then she flips out yeah yeah he was not only is he like he was being skeezy and manipulating her into sleeping with him in exchange for letting her you know off the hook uh he was also never going to follow through with it anyway right because he probably actually is like as like a crazy anti-communist like he it's it's not just uh his his like part of his job it's that he, he he actually aligns ideologically with that with that set so yeah it's just it's just extremely fucked up but he gets his just desserts because in the very end of the episode we have a nice little breakfast recap where the crew the gang gets together and they get their new edition of stars and stripes newspaper and what do they find the congressman that he is an aide to is caught in a love nest with williamson's wife herself and and it's just this big joke about how the congressman he works for uh has slept with his wife and really just like drives home the fact that this was just the worst dude ever and nobody liked him and uh, and then they all she, laugh and, about it and that's the end of the episode yeah she they they quote the wife she says um my husband drove me to it my husband made me cheat on him because he's so <laughs> terrible <laughs> so totally cucked totally cucked. love to see it yeah a major win this this is just a fun fact completely separate from the episode um but the guy who the man who plays uh williamson uh lawrence pressman yeah just out of curiosity because i had a hard time finding any like direct like any interesting politics uh of the writers or any of the anything directly related um to commun like communism or Mm anti-communism but so i was looking into like every actor trying to figure out where they where they stood Lawrence Pressman didn't really find anything about him his politics specifically but he did star or co-star in the movie the classic movie nine to five oh. uh, which we all know is a modern day uh, communist manifesto he played Jane Fonda's character character's uh, ex-husband the the ex-husband who like left her for a young his secretary That's and 
so in a way he's kind of playing a very similar character yeah he got typecast as that guy (laughs) yeah as this like really skeezy guy um but and then of course you know jane fonda very politically active very left-leaning always has been um so i i kind of wonder like uh, on a personal level like them as as actors like how they got along um that'd be interesting so yeah i i thought that was pretty funny nine to five great movie classic yeah just a plug for nine to five go watch it <laughs> everybody should just watch nine to five that's where this is going uh yeah so it's it's a really funny episode actually there's there's some really great lines in it um do you have any initial impressions that you wanted to talk about or anything particular that we haven't addressed so far that stuck out to you um well i i would love to hear some of the quotes that you pulled out the that's that stuck out to you because sure. uh, you you're really good at finding those and yeah i think i mean this move this episode is gold in terms of uh like the 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 topic that we're here to talk about um and i think it's really well done yeah i agree um, so I, I wrote down a, a number of lines, I think two in particular that are really good lines from, uh, uh, from Hawkeye. And it sort of like fits in with how he is regularly in the show as far as um, the things that he focuses on in his criticisms of the war, essentially. Uh, but they really do drive it home, I'd say a little extra in this episode. Um, so at mm-hmm. one point early on, Williamson goes into Hawkeye's tent and asks, um, you know, what could you use? What do you need that you're not being provided with? Like, how can we help you? Mm-hmm. And Hawkeye's response is, uh, we could use a good dermatologist. Do you realize we're sending soldiers to the front with pimples? And that's like a pretty great line that like comes back to his his character's whole thing with the fact that they're, you know, sending out kids to die for for this and uh, and it's ridiculous. And that's that's like a pretty consistent motivator for his character too. Um, I think of that season one Ron Howard episode where he's like a 15 oh. year old kid or whatever, and he's run off to yep. war to prove himself. To Lied about girl. age. Yeah, uh, and and I thought that was a pretty <laughs> that was a pretty good line. It's a great line, yeah. And and it, I mean, it's sometimes I don't even notice lines like that or or, or feel like how heavy they hit because I, I've been watching the show since I was nine, man. Like that's that is how I that stuff is just like in my brain like that Hawkeye's responses to stuff are just like so so much a part of like my I don't know how to how to describe it but Mariah is essentially a modern day Hawkeye is where she's going with this (laughs) no I did my mom would she always told me she's like I don't know where you got this sarcastic sense of humor you've been watching too much mash (laughs) and everything about that sounds true to me (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it's and then I tell her you know if she ever gets annoyed with me in my politics I'm like mom you're the one who bought me all 11 seasons of MASH on DVD like what did you think was gonna happen like what did you think this show was about yeah that's really funny uh and it really is funny how popular (laughs) MASH is too uh I remember I was talking to my family about being watching it and like everyone, everyone that I was talking to in my family is like, oh yeah, I've seen every episode of MASH. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. Awesome. Kicks ass. I don't know great anyone show. who's seen it. Like, that's the thing. Oh, Nobody really? I know has seen it. Yeah. I guess you have to be in California. It's a California thing. And I mean, it was filmed in, Cal- obviously it was filmed in Hollywood, but like, who knows? 
anyway, yeah, great line. Okay, what's next? What's the other quote? Uh, so then the one that I think was the most significant for me and kind of what uh, what I, I think the ties in with the rest of the episode is in a pretty serious moment where Williamson is accusing um, Margaret of being a communist sympathizer and he keeps using the term the red menace, the red menace. And, right. and this is not a joke. He, uh, Hawkeye interrupts him very seriously uh, yelling and says, don't tell us about the red menace. We're up to our ankles in it. It comes out of those kids you keep sending us, uh, which yeah. I think is a really oh. poignant line. And that's another one that, you know, kind of drives home the point of, uh, you know, this is the real, the real issue here is that like these kids are dying and, and that's really what Hawkeye is about is this is, right, he's this a doctor. is what's at stake. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, again, great, great quote. Uh, glad you brought that one up because I get, I get chills every time I hear that. Like I, I do got, got chills of you quoting that. Cause it's, it's just like, it's just so obvious. Like why, why are, why were people like this, you know, this fucking congressman's aide, why was this such a problem to them? <laughs> like why, why, you know, they're just, oh, it's just kind of disgusting when you, when you really think about when you look at it in the light of the the actual physical suffering that was taking place Mm -hmm. um i mean it's it's just you can't look at it any other way when you see it like that and and that again you know comes up in the show basically every episode that there's it's just these people are these doctors are completely overwhelmed by the death and destruction of this political game that's being played yeah, and that and that's it's a really great moment. It's I think kind of the the heart of the episode in a lot of ways yeah. is, is like that line and that really that exchange, but how heated it gets. And mm-hmm. so I think from there, my interest is kind of, you know, let's talk about Hawkeye's politics, you know, with with that line and with you've sort of addressed it yourself a couple of times. It's like, okay, he's you know, he's not a communist sympathizer, like he couldn't be that. Um I think for me, the character itself doesn't even necessarily feel like he's a guy who is necessarily a communist or a communist adjacent or whatever. He seems like the intention of his character. And I think that some of this is a little difficult to put into the context of the writers because um, you've addressed, you've tried to, you know, look into the writers and there's not a whole lot to go off of. Uh, It's, you know, television writers from this era it's long enough ago that it's not necessarily going to have a, a ton of articles about that just yeah it, it's difficult to find a lot of political information about them because i think that they were even if they did have kind of left-wing radical politics if they wanted to work in hollywood they had to walk the line right and so yeah. i think for the sake of this conversation it's it's relevant to note that um we might suppose that this is the writer's intention and maybe that wasn't the intention but i think that regardless you can you can read into it. Maybe it's a subconscious thing, but uh, for me, at least regarding the Hawkeye character, Hawkeye is kind of meant to be this ordinary guy. And mm-hmm. he is himself kind of, at least from what I've watched. So correct me if you have a different take, but I think the way that him and really a lot of the characters, aside from the characters that are sort of humorously right wing, where that is a part of their characters that they're just really you know, ultra right <laughs> pro-America guys, uh, is that right. Hawkeye is kind of just a skeptic. He's just kind of a cynical, almost yes. apolitical to the extent that like they don't give him any ideology. Uh, mm-hmm. 
but but that he he's just kind of a skeptic and his real focus is people and he is always shown as treating um the korean uh civilians as well as the the enemy soldiers uh mm-hmm. in a positive way he is not he doesn't treat anybody any differently from anybody else when he is interacting with patients. Right. The, the, the only people that he shows any contempt or disrespect for are the brass and the, you know, these red tape politicians and officials right. who, who come to visit. He, he, you know, lacks any respect for military discipline. And I, I think, yeah, I think you're kind of, you're, you're leading towards this that yeah, Hawkeye, they don't, they can't really make him an ideological character because otherwise he, you know, by extension, he would become a communist or a communist sympathizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they can do is make him this kind of generic foil, I guess, of what people considered like the younger generation of, I don't even want to say left, but I guess like the, the young leftists, the young people who are just questioning things. Right. You know, even though he's not necessarily really that young, I think that in the in the show, there's he's supposed to be kind of like in his 30s, whatever. But because uh, he's obviously he's like a fully trained surgeon who's been through medical school. But yeah, so he he he's often like confused. You know, he he's like overwhelmed. He doesn't understand. He's uh, like like he doesn't understand why these things are happening around him. Why the why the war is going this way, etc. There, there's many episodes where Hawkeye has like a full-on mental breakdown uh, and that becomes like the focal point of the episode. It's just like him struggling with the with the trauma, with the futility of it all. And and like I said, it, it, it comes down to him just being kind of like demoralized uh, rather than developing any kind of um, revolutionary ideology. Yeah, I would totally agree with that, with all of that. Uh, but it, it makes it it, it makes a, for a very interesting dynamic, too, because he sort of is able to fill this role of kind of the like, you know, more witty version of like an everyman uh, sort of a thing. Well, and, and giving this clearly anti-war view. I mean, he's he's always seen to be anti-war. I don't even think that that is like under the surface or something you have to take from it. it the way that he talks about the war and everything going on, he's he's very anti-war. He's just a doctor. He wants to be a doctor that is you know you're you're totally right but it's again it's not he's not anti-war because of any ideology or any like political conviction or or religious conviction or anything like that he's not a conscientious objector he is he's simply like unmilitary undisciplined and doesn't really give a shit he's like Mm -hmm. i'm here and i have to be here and i can't there's one actually really interesting episode very late in the in the show where during during the korean war and i know this is i I don't know the details of how this worked in the military but like you could you could like earn a certain number of quote-unquote points excuse me um to and your your rotation abroad so like if you were a bomber you would have to go on x amount of bombing missions and then you could be rotated home Mm -hmm. uh and so the same thing was true for for these doctors if you earned a certain amount of like credentials uh i don't know what they would have been uh then you could you could go home but the problem was because as the war changes changed and the circumstances changed h headquarters would move the goalpost and make it so that you had to earn even even if you had just hit your you know 50 points or whatever they would 
move the move the goalpost so you had to hit 75 and that could mean that you were there for another year or or more wow and there's so there's one episode where uh hawkeye is is really excited because he's like yes like i'm about to i'm about to hit this threshold and they might actually send me home and he's just like really kind of at the end of his rope he's like having a really hard time and um colonel potter makes the announcement hey everybody just got the word from headquarters you know the new numbers are out and like you you know you can't go home until you hit this number and he like throws a fit he literally was like running around the compound like throwing things and screaming and just like having this like having a kind of a breakdown and he ends up getting in a jeep yeah so he he drives to the peace stocks and it's it's really i mean it's crazy because he's wearing his surgical gown and he's covered in blood and he's just like gotten in his car and is driven to where all these generals uh american south korean and uh chinese and north korean are all meeting to like discuss uh, you know, the, the negotiation of the end of the war and the partition and everything. And he is just like, this guy is like batshit crazy. <laughs> it's a great episode. But it does show, it shows how his, who his character is. And, and I think that arguably making him this sort of like him sort of without an ideology has its own impact. Like if he was an ideological figure for one like the show wouldn't have been made um and it wouldn't right. and if it had been made somehow it wouldn't be the classic that it is like it wouldn't be this accessible thing that uh, everybody had seen you know and at this time and just really quickly because it, it wouldn't have worked because it would people like i said before the audience at that time you, it was unacceptable to sympathize with a communist right and so you can sympathize with this kind of confused young doctor who is kind of like grappling with these complicated um, moral issues uh, on sort of a case by case basis. But if he were to come out as a, you know, a card carrying communist, uh, he would set, he would be unacceptable. Right. Okay. So that about wraps it up for our episode this week. Uh, we want to make a special shout out to Jonathan Benz, who has created this great theme for us that you will be now hearing every single episode. So uh, we, we have identifying music. Look at that. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, dude. Also shout out to uh, Ada Sprengelmeyer for our album art, our cover art. Yes. Very excited for that. Yeah. Also shout out Mariah for meeting these people and getting them to help us out because uh, I would be hopeless at that. So really couldn't do it without you. Thank you for all this hard work. It's all about the network. A hundred percent. Yeah. You're better at networking than I am. That's why I failed at film school. So, (laughs) uh, all right, everyone, but we will be back pretty soon. We have a, our next, our next bit picked out and uh, hopefully you'll join us for another episode of Un-American Activities. Until then, I'm Zach. I'm Mariah. And we don't have a catchphrase yet, but we'll see you soon. Yeah, we're... uh, Bye. We'll just end it like that. Jump to music. All right.